Welcome to the Chamber Voice of Business podcast. Today we will be hearing from candidates for the Arkansas State Senate District 1, Senator Bart Hester and, Sen- and Renetta Francis, his challenger. Uh, Senator Hester was invited but uh, did not show, so we will be hearing from Rusty Turner, with the editor with the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette, who is our moderator, and Ronetta Francis. We encourage you to vote in this election as well. Thank you. Well, welcome again to the Rogers Little Chamber of Commerce uh, candidate forums for uh, 2020. I am Rusty Turner. I'm the editor of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. And today I am here with Renetta Francis. She is a Democrat uh, running for State Senate District Number 1. Uh, her opponent, Bart Hester, a Republican, had agreed to come today but has not, uh, but is not here. So we will, uh, we will continue on with a conversation with with Renetta Francis. So, Renetta, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Rusty. Uh, I'll start with an open-ended question today. Why are you running for state senate, and what is your top legislative priority for the coming session? So, thank you, Rusty. Um, I am a, a little bit about myself. I'm a wife. My husband Earl and I have been married for 26 years. We are the parents of three adult daughters. I have uh, practiced employment law for more than 25 years. I'm a small business owner. And with all of these roles, I truly understand the struggles that many families in Arkansas are facing. And I believe that representation matters. And I'm running because I want to be the voice for those who don't have a, legislat- a voice in the legislature. I want to be a champion and make sure that to fight for everyday people. When I think about the role of a legislator. I think about it in three big buckets. So family, community, and economic and environmental progress. And so as a legislator, you think, what, how will the rules, how will the laws impact family, community, economy, and environment? How will it help them? How will it impact them? And so when I think about legislative priorities, what I'd like to do first, one of the things um, would be Making sure that the uh, bipartisan bill uh, for the anti for the hate crimes bill gets passed, I think it is incumbent upon Arkansas to make sure that we show ourselves to be welcoming and we show ourselves to embrace inclusivity. Arkansas gets a grade of F when it relates to inclusivity because we don't have legislation that protects against violence for that's perpetrated against people based on their protected status. We've got to make a difference. And I know Arkansas is ready for it because we saw a a grassroots uprising of our community in support of racial justice, in support of doing the right thing in fairness. And so I know that having a bill that uh, provides protections for uh, victims of crimes that are perpetrated because of their protected status is what Arkansas is looking for. The other legislative priority would be to uh, gun sense legislation. We've got to make sure 80% of Arkansans are in favor of gun sense legislation. I'm not talking about a repeal of the Second Amendment. I'm not talking about taking away any guns. I'm talking about making sure we have the guidelines in place so that folks who don't need access to guns, like domestic violence perpetrators and, and, and offenders, and loopholes that people can squeeze through that shouldn't have access to guns don't get the access to guns. 
And I think my third priority would be ensuring that there are, there's a minimum standard of habitability for tenants. Arkansas is the only state that does not have such legislation. And it is abysmal. And I know that uh, the, uh, the legislature has had these opportunities to do so in the past, and lobbyists and uh, you know, legislators who are in the pockets of lobbyists or whatever uh, have voted against it. And we've got to push for it to make sure that folks who are, are renting have safe and habitable living spaces. Let me circle back to one of your priorities and, and ask a specific question. You talked about uh, what you called gun sense, or what you referred to as gun sense regulations. Would that include red flag laws? Yes. So and talk a little bit about your, why you think that's important. I think it's important that um, when, um, when, when we talk about red flag, excuse me, red flag laws, those that, are, um, that should not have access to guns, there should not be a loophole that allows them to have access to guns because there was a delay in processing uh, their application. And that's what we saw in, 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 um, in North Carolina. And we've got to make sure that we have a tight and integrated system to promote the safety and well-being of everyday citizens. Okay. All right. I'm going to move on to a different topic, and I'm going to ask you what your evaluation is so far of the state's response to the coronavirus pandemic, and if there's anything you would have preferred to see done differently. So overall, I would say, well, first off, before I say that, I, I just have to recognize the fact that this is a, a, a global public health crisis, that America has not had to deal with unprecedented times in over 100 years, not in our lifetime for sure. Nearly 200,000 Americans have perished. 1,200 Arkansans have perished. This is a public health crisis. And so when we talk about what could have been done differently, it's unprecedented times. And so I applaud the governor for assembling um, the advisory committee. I applaud him for the mask mandate. I applaud him for the social distancing. I, as a legislator, would have advocated that the reverse order of some of those things have happened. I would have preferred that the mask mandate and the social distancing aspects, guidelines, come earlier rather than three to four months later. Then the um, state of emergency was declared March 11th. The mask mandate wasn't issued until mid-July. We could have probably saved more lives. So what would I have done differently? I would have elevated the creation of the uh, Medical Advisory Committee and doing so to study how we could have uh, blunted or even stopped the transmission of the coronavirus instead of creating a commission that was designed to study what we would do after the peak of coronavirus, right? I would have made sure that we were addressing the the needs of our underrepresented communities, making sure we were eliminating language barriers, making sure that they had access to the information and outreach translated immediately into their languages so that they understood what was happening sooner, that they had access to treatment and to testing sooner, and that they, had, that they understood exactly what pre uh, preventive measures they could take to help stop and prevent the spread of the coronavirus. The other thing I would have done is 
um, had tremendously more oversight over the uh, Ready for Business program, that grant program of $15 million that was exhausted in 30 minutes, did nothing to provide relief for small businesses that had to shut down for uh, uh, solo practitioners who had to either close their shops for a little bit or shut down completely. We needed to be making sure that we're protecting essential workers as well. So those are some of the things I would have done differently, but I recognize that uh, the governor exercised his executive powers. I applaud him for that. Unprecedented times, we needed the leadership. I just would have preferred that the social and health aspects took precedence over the monetary. Okay. Uh, and you touched on this just a little bit, but let me specifically ask you about it. There's been some criticism of the governor and the state health department. Uh, that it had overstepped its authority and, and the governor had over, overstepped his authority during the uh, state of emergency. Uh, do you agree with that or disagree and, and why not? I do not agree that he overstepped. As I mentioned before, I think he could have acted probably a bit more aggressively and a lot sooner. The CDC and the World Health Organization identified this novel coronavirus as a global health risk in early March, in mid-March. And it wasn't until much later that uh, some of the health issues were actually um, the mandates for the mask and social distancing were implemented. So whether he did he overstep? No, I don't think he did. I think he acted uh, with the, to help prevent uh, the spread of the virus and to help um, preserve the health of our Kansans. Now, like I said, I think I wish you would have done it sooner, and maybe we might have seen um, fewer deaths. Okay. All right, I'm, uh, I'm gonna shift topics again on you, and we're gonna talk about issue one on the November ballot, which, is, which if approved, would make the current half-cent sales tax uh, for highways and roads permanent. Do you, how will you vote uh, on that come November, and why or why not? So, yeah, um, I think, well, one of the things I'd have to say is I'm really disappointed that the legislature referred this to the citizens without complete information and transparent information. There is a, a swirl of misinformation about what this highway tax is and what it does, whether or not it's a new tax or an existing tax and how it will be implemented. But, uh, and that's something I would not have agreed to as a legislator. As a private citizen, my vote, my one vote, like your one vote, I would vote no because I don't believe it's appropriate for us to tax in perpetuity. I don't believe in agreeing to a tax that my grandkids and their children would have to pay. I think there are alternative measures and means uh, to acquire the necessary funding. I think that leveraging the Highway Commission's rainy day fund is an example. I, I know that we need money for infrastructure. I know that we need money for our roads and highways. I mean, the roads are the way people go to work. The roads are the way that, um, that they go to shop and spend money and engage in commerce. And the roads are the way that goods are transported. And we have three major employers in this district that utilize these roads tremendously, Walmart, J.B. Hunt, Tyson. So I recognize the importance of keeping up the roads and the infrastructure. I just think there's a different way that we could have done it. Even if it was just extending the time period, because this is an existing tax that's due to expire in 2022, if the, if the vote were to have another 10-year period, that would be more acceptable than having a constitutional amendment that goes on indefinitely. That's where I think there's a problem. Thank you. Uh, issue number two, 
uh, would change the nature of legislative term limits. So instead of being limited to 16 years in total, lawmakers could serve more than 16 years if they take a four-year break uh, at some point. So uh, how will you vote on issue two and, and tell us why? Right, so I, this is another example of where I think the information is a little inconsistent as it relates to making sure that voters are aware exactly what they're voting for. As you mentioned, instead of the 16-year cap, it would be 12 on, maybe four off. Or it could be 10 on and take two off and then go back again for another 10 and another two. So the, the idea of it being a term limit is misleading. Um, and I think... I've read and heard studies and read studies that constituents are tired of self-dealing legislatures. They're tired of uh, being subjected to the whims and the dollars of big lobbyists. And that's why people are much more in favor of term limits. And with that being said, the Constitution as it was before with the 16 years is a much more effective means of limiting terms than what's currently proposed. And so I would vote no. Okay. And then we'll go on to issue three, which would, among other things, change the rules uh, on how citizen-led initiatives qualify for the ballot. Critics say it will make it more difficult for citizen-led proposals to be voted on by the people. Uh, will you, how will you vote and why or why not? I agree. I've read through it. It does, as proposed, it makes it much more difficult for citizens to get issues onto the ballot. It imposes restrictions and requirements that don't currently exist. And when you think about the government is supposed to be for the people, by the people, and of the people, the people should be encouraged to participate in, in government and making sure that laws that affect them get a vote. We should be making it easier for citizens to participate rather than imposing restrictions. And this imposes tremendous, over, overly burdensome restrictions and would limit the number of citizen-led uh, initiatives. And there are important initiatives that come up through the citizens' uh, initiative process that wouldn't ordinarily do so through the legislature. So we need that so that the voice of the people can be heard. And so I will vote no, no to any restrictions on that. Okay. Thank you. Um, providing an adequate and equitable edu public education is a requirement of the Arkansas Constitution. How is Arkansas doing in meeting that stand those standards? And as a state lawmaker, how would you work to either reach or maintain those goals? Across the state, I would say that Arkansas is not doing well at all. When you look at the standards where we rank as it relates to providing an educational standards, we're at 48th, 49th, 50th. We're always at the bottom. We can do more. We must do more. We must invest more in education for our educators, providing them not only with additional uh, salary and staffing, but also the development and support that they need. But it's not just limited to teachers. It, it's expansive to the support staff. So whether you're in the classroom or you're in the cafeteria or you're driving the buses, all of these roles are important for the growth and development of our children. And we do need to do a much better job and invest more heavily in quality early childhood education. Quite frankly, our workforce of the future relies on those skills that are cultivated in quality early childhood education. And currently, it's not available to all families, and it needs to be. And as a legislator, I would work to make sure that it is. Thank you. Um, let's talk a minute about uh, the state budget. Um, 
the economy was hit pretty hard during the coronavirus pandemic and probably will have quite a bit of, and will continue to have an impact on the state budgets for the next two years, which would be a responsibility of the state legislature in 2021. So talk a little bit about how you would, as a legislator, develop spending priorities uh, in choosing how, how the state's more limited budget would be spent. So you're right. We ch uh, the state has taken a tremendous hit from a budgeting perspective. There are over 100,000 Arkansans who are unemployed. There are businesses that had to shut down. There are businesses that had to reduce their hours. Even larger businesses had to reduce their workforce. So the impact has been tremendous. But I am hopeful and uh, optimistic that the uh, budget issue is a little will, will, will show to be a little bit more robust than we had anticip originally anticipated. And I do believe that the Arkansas economy is strong and will survive this. But as legislatures, I think it is our it is our duty to monitor the trends, to understand exactly where budget cuts need to happen, and to make sure that particularly essential services to our most vulnerable citizens, the elderly and children, are not disturbed. So we'll have to make adjustments as needed. Um. It's kind of fallen out of the news uh, in recent months because of the coronavirus, but, uh, but uh, the, the uh, uh, abuse of opioids uh, has been a real problem in, in many communities, including those in Arkansas, over the years. And we haven't talked much about that in the last six months uh, because of this other health, uh, uh, health crisis we're, we've been enduring. But talk a little bit about the, the legislature's role in, in helping communities deal with, with uh, opioid abuse. And, uh, uh, overdoses. I think it is the legislators' responsibility to assess the needs of the community and make sure that the services for those needs are provided. So with mental illness, substance use, abuse, and disorders, that we need to have the proper facilities, we need to have the proper treatment, we need to have the proper resources to address those. We don't have substance abuse facilities here in Bentonville. People have to travel all over. If they don't have access to those resources, the epidemic will continue to grow. So in order to address it, you've got to get into the root cause of why this is happening and what are the studies showing as it relates to the origination and the perpetuation of this opioid addiction. We have to stop criminalizing mental health issues. We have to stop criminalizing substance use of issues. Uh, uh, issues. Our prisons are overpopulated from the overcriminalization of minor offenses, and we've got to make sure that people get the help they need. Why is it happening? What can we do to reverse it? It's a root cause rather than individual assessment. Well, we're uh, about out of time, so it's time for the last question. So, uh, so to wrap it up, uh, are there any issues that we haven't discussed that I haven't asked you about that you'd like to bring up and talk about? So one of the things that we haven't talked about, I would say, is uh, the social justice reform that's needed in, in our state. We, talk, we haven't talked about the over-incarceration uh, rate that Arkansas uh, currently experiences. We incarcerate 900 out of 100,000 people. We have the highest incarceration rate of the national average. We incarcerate more than six or seven other countries combined. Why is that? And there's an overrepresentation of incarceration of black and brown. It's a war against poverty. Those who are, um, who are unemployed or have less education and, 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 and 
nonviolent offenses. We need to really evaluate how we're utilizing the criminal justice system such that we can focus on those particular needs. Let's stop criminalizing mental health issues. Let's stop criminalizing, like I said, um, uh, social issues. We need more social workers. We need more mental health facilities. We need more resources to take away from what we have been calling law enforcement to do. And when we do that, then we free up, we invest more in the community, invest more in education, invest more in um, employment training, vocational training, to ensure that folks have the resources and the skills they need to be successful, to be productive, and to break that systemic cycle of oppression. Right. Well, uh, thank you very much. This is again, Renetta Francis. She's the Democrat running for uh, State Senate District 1. Her opponent is Bart Hester, a Republican who did not join us today. Uh, I wanna thank you all for listening. Again, I'm Rusty Turner from the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. And on behalf of the Rogers Lowell Chamber of Commerce, thanks for listening.